you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Joel Lulovich here. And Lucy Dickens. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. So by this time, we should all know exactly what baby you have had, Lucy. Is it a boy? Is it a girl? How big was it? And who won your very fun competition? And who won the fun little competition? (laughs) So if you want to know and you don't know, then you need to be in our juggle community to find out because we can't tell you today, even though this baby will be born because we are pre-recording it to make sure that we have enough episodes to come out every week before Lucy has this baby and is perhaps unavailable for a little while. It's very good of you all to cater for me and my child. (laughs) Thank you. Instead of having a baby with me, I have a baby kicking me in my tummy, but that's okay. That's all just part of the fun, isn't it? It is. It is. I'm so glad I don't have to do it. (laughs) So today's guest, we have Anne-Marie David, who both Joe and I have known for a while, and we recently heard her speak when we were at a conference, the retreat in November last year. And the topic was one that we thought would be of great interest to you all. And so we've asked Anne-Marie to come join us on the podcast and talk about it with you. Now, I like to describe Anne-Marie as a bit of a powerhouse woman because she really is. And once you listen to this introduction and the interview, you'll know why we think so. But from a more day-to-day perspective, we describe Anne-Marie as a lawyer turned teacher turned coach and mentor. She's currently the Executive Director of College of Law in Queensland. In addition to this really demanding role, she volunteers her time to help women achieve equality and overcome barriers to career progression in so many ways. Her volunteer roles include the Foundation Director of the Australian Gender Equality Council and she's the immediate past president of Australian Women Lawyers. And in 2018, in recognition of how powerhouse she is, she received the Queensland Law Society's Agnes McWinnie Award, which recognises outstanding professional or community contribution by a woman lawyer. Before we get into the interview, we just want to tell you about a message from our sponsor, Law CPD. For the months of February and March, Law CPD are back with another brilliant offer for you. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know about Law CPD, they offer premium online CPD courses for lawyers. Their courses are all online, which means they can be completed anytime from anywhere and on any device. For today, they're telling you about a freebie and a competition for all of our listeners. So there's three things that you need to know about. Number one, they're giving away a voucher for $25 off your first purchase with Law CPD to everyone who enters the competition. So just enter straight up. There's something for you. Thing number two is that each week between now and the end of March, which is the CPD deadline, one person will win a one hour online CPD course of their choice. Keep an eye on our social media where we will announce the winners each week. And the third thing that you need to know about, the big one, is that at the end of March, Law CPD will draw a major prize winner who will win 10 hours worth of online CPD courses of their choice. So that'll be your whole CPD requirement for the next CPD year. So there is something for everyone here. Enter the competition at lawcpd.com.au forward slash the juggle competition. And while we're talking Law CPD, just so you know, Lucy and I have both written a Law CPD course. So if you want to hear more from us, in fact, you won't be hearing from us, but you'll be reading our work, then you can perhaps choose an employment law course or a wills and estate planning course if these are your practice areas or something that you're interested in. So don't forget, enter at lawcpd.com.au forward slash the juggle competition. Now over to Anne-Marie. 
Welcome, Anne-Marie. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure. So we've already mentioned, Lucy and I, in our introduction to this interview, the huge amount of things that you're involved in, not just the official things, but there's also a lot of unofficial things that you do. And that is introductions, mentoring, connecting people, sharing opportunities. I mean, we just had an experience of that, didn't we, where someone, <laughs> we were happened to be doing a little interview and you got to share in a bit of that and someone's reaching out to you asking if you might know someone that you can introduce them to. So it's happening all the time. <laughs> Why do you do all of these extra things? They just come naturally, Joe. And hello, Lucy. I haven't said hello. Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, they just come naturally. I think because I've been around for such a long time. I've been in the Queensland profession for more than 30 years, and that makes me a stayer by today's standards. So I do know the people around. I know what it's like to be a law student, a baby lawyer, more senior lawyer. And of course, all my friends are now departing the profession, having been partners or, or heads of legal. So um, I've followed many, many career paths and I understand uh, the demands on lawyers. And so I think that's just given me insight. And where I sit, I have a fabulous, fabulous position that gives me an umbrella overview of what the profession is doing, how it's evolving. Uh, and that's an incredible place to be. I expect it's quite rare. And so I can look in and see things that need improving, in my opinion. I can see how far we've come, even in the time that I've been in the profession. So it's really an interesting way to contribute, if you like. I love being able to do all the extras. And um, it's just, I think, probably serendipity. I was just here and it happened. I think you might be not giving yourself enough credit there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it just happened. I think that you go out of your way to meet people and you want to know about people and you ask them and you think, how can I help you? And I don't think any of it just happens. I think that you put a hell of a lot into it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love. And when you love what you do, you just want to do more of it. So, yeah. That makes me think about the fact that you're a woman like us doing this juggle of career and family with your three teenagers. They're all still teenagers, aren't they? You haven't had a year old yet? Not no, yet, no. not yet. It's soon. I know it's soon. How, with all of that happening, are you finding or making the time? Because that is the biggest thing that we hear from women like us. It's, I don't have enough time or how do I make enough time? Yeah, I have suffered in the past from juggling, really juggling different balls in the air. And I realised if I was only throwing one ball or similar weighted balls in the air, it would be a lot easier juggle on me. And it took me a long time to understand that. And I've said to you both that I've dropped the ball on many occasions. So we all have. Yeah. And so I've come to realise that if you select the balls that you want to juggle, very carefully and you can have multiple balls but understand what weight you can carry and how good you are at juggling you can really achieve anything but I'm not one to go out and suggest we all pick up six balls even the same weight even tiny ones think about what you want to juggle what really means something to you is it important enough for you to try to juggle in the first place and then give it a go and if it works keep doing it refine it and then you might want to add something more but um, yeah it's it's um, going to be different a different juggle for every person I think and you've just got to find what you're capable of doing. I like this idea but I feel like the question our listeners would have is if we're going to select some things, what do we do with the things we decide that we're not going to focus on right now? Or, you know, some of them might even potentially be things that we see as necessities or things that we have to do. What do we do about those things? Okay, so this is where I start talking about finding my reason for being here. I'm one of those people that chases the shiny baubles. You know, I love something new and exciting. But 
I know that I've only got so much energy and it's taken me a long time to understand this and it's depleting as I get older. <laughs> so I've got to relegate some things to my bucket list. And that doesn't mean I'm going to do them when I'm 70. It might just mean I'm not going to do them this month, this year, this decade. But I'll get around. I'll get back to doing my Italian lessons and I'll get back to playing the piano, but not just at the moment. So um, what's important? And obviously, as a parent, my obligation first and foremost is to my kids and to my partner they're the reason I, well, I brought my children of the world to actually be their parent so I've got to put them first and foremost in my line of sight but of course I have to feed them I have to jointly bring the money in to feed and, and clothe and whatever so I have to go out to work to do that so that's on pretty much equal par I've got to have a job that I love to do there's no sense in doing a job that you hate or you're no good at or you're just you know treading water so um, I think what I've tried to do is balance the things that are really important and I've chased things that I enjoy doing. So a lot of people we know, a lot of women and men we know, spend a lot of time with their children doing things that I wouldn't because they're not me. But I choose to do things with them that we can jointly love. So, you know, we share common interests and I let them go off and do the things they want to do separately that don't interest me or that I'm no good at. My husband is a cricket tragic and he can't <laughs> understand why I can't sit for six hours in the sun <laughs> or even under a tree watching a cricket match. But that's his passion. So he goes and does that. Whereas I will take my children to a library, to a play, to a museum or an art gallery any day of the week. And that's what we do. And that's the passion we share. Similarly with work, I was, I started out, I've done lots of different things, but as a lawyer, I was practicing and I really wasn't feeling it. It wasn't me. And I had great anxiety about not being able to give people what I really wanted to give them. Mm -hmm. And one of the partners I worked for said, you know, you are so good with people. Would you, because I had said, I'm going to leave. He said, would you stay? And would you build my practice? And I didn't realize it at the time, but he actually obviously saw that one of my talents in life is connecting with people and making people feel comfortable and building rapport and trust and all of those things. So gradually I've come to understand that and our mutual friend Clarissa Raywood has actually really reminded me of that in recent years, that that's probably what I call my superpower, my ability to connect. And so if I'm in a job where I can connect people, where I can empower people uh, through training and education and I help them, that's really me doing what I think I'm here to do. I think that's my life's purpose. And I have this throwaway line that if you can uncover your purpose, you can unleash your superpower and then nothing will hold you back. It's not a throwaway line. It's a great line. <laughs> Thank you. Then it's one I, one I try to live. Mm. So as you said, in order for us to feel happy and content and feel like we're successful, as we all know, that whole word has its own connotations in this juggle between family and life, it can really help to know what that superpower about ourselves is and make sure that that's being expressed. So if yours is connecting people, how do we find ours? Okay, well, there's lots of ways to find, well, Simon Sinek calls it your why, why you're here. I've read another one recently about living a good life which has three buckets and you, you determine how, how full your bucket is in terms of your health and your contribution to society and, and your relationships. That's an interesting one and I can give you a link to a book about that. But the one I'm really enamoured with at the moment and I've been following this for a couple of years now is a Japanese concept and it's, please, listeners who speak Japanese, excuse my poor pronunciation. I call it ikigai, which is, translates to reason for being. 
and that very much resonates with me. What am I here to do? What's my reason for being? And it's a very, very easy way of sitting down and reflecting on ourselves in four different categories. So I have my little ikigai chart here. So what am I good at? What do I love? What does the world need? There's no sense chasing, you know, things that um, no one wants you to do. And also, what can I be paid for? That's probably the most important thing when you've got other people um, relying on you, as I do. I've got a family. So what am I good at? And we can all sit down and reflect on what our strengths are. And if you can't do that, ask a friend. Ask someone else, yeah. Ask a family member, yeah. Ask someone who knows you. Because, again, it took, uh, took me a while for people to convince me that what I do is... It comes naturally and and that's what I should be doing. So what am I good at? What do I love? If you want to be passionate about something and really achieve runs on the board, chase something you love. And as they say, you'll never work a day in your life if that's what you're doing, if you're doing what you love. And what does the world need? Is there something that I can do to affect how we're all living for the better? And then how can I get paid to do that? And when you put all all those things in, and the Higai chart I'm looking at has four concentric circles, one for each of those things. What sits in the middle is the overlap. And that is the, it's the purpose. That's your Ikigai. What is your reason for being? What do you get up every morning? And what drives you? And what I really love about this is we don't have to be doing something incredible. We don't have to be running countries or companies or doing something that other people would judge as, as successful. We just have to know that what we're doing, we're doing to the very best of our ability and we want to be doing it. So I've, I've shared with you recently a, um, a story about my own daughter who is going into second year uni. She's studying psychology and social science and she has a part-time job as all uni kids have to do to pay for their clubbing and whatever. And she has <laughs> a job at a bakery on a railway concourse so you can imagine she sees every manner of life walking by her interacting with her every day and it's a really hard job she does everything from cooking to cleaning to managing the till training staff and it's a it's a tough gig and she says to me mum I don't know why I'm doing this this is so hard and I've said to her well think about what you need you want a life uh, pursuing psychology and social science you're actually living what you want to do. You're meeting the people and you're seeing all manner of walks of life, understanding that we're not all the same. And you can probably guess what's influencing why they are the way they are. And having that conversation with her, I could see the light bulb go on in her brain. And she said, yes, yes, this is the stuff I can write in in my assignments. This is the stuff that I can use in case studies. She's actually realised that even in doing a job like that, which she won't have forever, She's actually using her purpose, using her her drive and what she loves. She's being paid for it. She will eventually be doing something the world needs. And it all comes together in that little circle in the middle called your ikigai or your purpose. Interesting. Interestingly, our previous guest who we had on last week was talking about similar, a job like a, um, well, you mentioned Brumbies. Oh, Brumbies, yeah. Yes, that was me. A retail job or a job in hospitality but not only has your daughter been able to link her passions and her interests and her ikigai back to that but she's also gaining valuable life skills that will you know set her up for success in in life and in her future career there was so much in what you just said but I want to touch on one thing which is that you said it took me a while to realize that what I'm good at comes naturally mm, yes. this is something that I've been struggling with a lot for the last six months in fact I think I've spoken to both of you about this and so I think it's probably something that's quite common among our listeners. How can we identify 
our natural skills and how can we give ourselves credit for those things? Uh, and that's what we all fail at, isn't it? We think that's just something I do. It's not something I should be paid to do. Well, that's ridiculous. Mm. If, you've got, if you've got a skill and you combine a passion with that, you are on fire. And if, you're, if you give yourself an opportunity to let that play out and find the right market, that's the other thing. Does the world need you to do that at this stage? then you have found what you should be doing. And again, I think we don't give ourselves enough credit. We all, we're all told, go off to uni, get a profession, go and change the world. You don't have to do that. You can actually change the world just by being who you are. If you realise that this is something I can do, which will add value to someone else's life or just, you know, in some other way, it's passionate, I'm passionate about it, so I'm really going to run with this, it will come naturally. And again, we've spoken today about asking other people, what do you think I am good at? What are the skills that I'm not seeing? Does that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's really good. And it doesn't, you're reinforcing that it doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to change the world. I mean, you say your superpower is connecting people, which is really quite simple. Mm, exactly. Look at what you've been able to achieve from it. Yeah, and I can't think of many jobs apart from recruitment agents or perhaps sales. I don't know. But um, I don't think I'd do well at either of those things. But it's hard for me to actually pigeonhole myself as saying, yes, that's what I do. I don't know if there's a profession called connecting. (laughs) Maybe there will be in the next uh, millennia. I'm not sure. And that's it. It's your superpower and how you apply your superpower to your work in order to actually benefit your work. One of the issues that I have with this superpower idea is sometimes coming from that mentality of um, scarcity and feeling like they're all taken, you know, all the great superpowers <laughs> are taken. So how do I find mine and not feel like I'm copying someone? Because if someone else is out there saying, I'm a great connector, you know, how do I come along and say, well, I'm a great connector? <laughs> <laughs> and by way of background, Joe and I have been working on working out our superpowers. We've had quite a few conversations about that. Oh, these. excellent. So we're trying to refine them. I must send you over a cape. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, yes, we might all share a common superpower, but no two people are ever going to be the same. So those superpowers won't be executed in exactly the same way. So I will be a very different connector from someone else who has a different, if you think about it this way, if, um, if my motivation is not linked to, say, deriving an income, so I don't connect people. I, I always say I don't sell. I never sell anything. I just connect people. I build rapport with people and I build trust. And if they want something from me, they'll come and ask for it. So at that point, I can say, well, do you want to, and I'm at the College of Law, do you want to train with us? Do you want to do a course with us? I never sell anything. I'm not that sort of connector. But someone else will be an equally good connector and will go in for the kill and say, sell 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 and they'll come out that way that's not me so probably a similar superpower executed by different people in a different manner does that help joe yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) you know i think it's not uncommon for people to want to feel unique and it's remembering that you are unique you don't actually have to come up with anything else just you being you is the unique absolutely and I think too I don't know about your childhood and I'm a lot older than you wonderful women but in my childhood we were all told uh, pride cometh before a fall you don't go and tell people what you're good at because you'll stumble so you just you you know motor along very quietly doing your own thing especially women and I think I'm just thinking ahead to the um the on the Australia Day Honours Day list where we'll see again so few women in the list because very few women have been told you have to go out and sing your own praises before anyone even knows you exist. 
Yeah, so I think there's a, a cultural barrier there. And I think that is related to why we can't find our purpose. We won't let ourselves know that we do something well. We don't give ourselves enough credit or praise. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of people, I think, a lot of women particularly, seem to question their purpose, their life's work, when they have kids. Mm, yes. Because it disrupts everything. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no other way to say it. You just, <laughs> things cruising along just lovely. And then all of a sudden you decide to make this decision and everything goes out the window and you have to kind of relearn, resettle, you know, work out who you are. So how do we make it okay in our own minds to sort of slow down or change that focus? And you, you talked about this a bit earlier about, you know, selecting the balls. And I love that idea of selecting the balls because I've never heard anyone really talk about selecting the balls before. It's always been, these are the balls that you have in your life and what should you do? How are you going to do with it? Yeah. It would be great, wouldn't it, to have 2020 hindsight and be able to say to ourselves at 20, 25, 30, okay, now is a good time to have children. Or, you know, before you have children, make sure you've ticked off these things on the checklist because you will want them in 20 years' time. <laughs> it would be great to know that, wouldn't it? I would love to see, for example, some financial literacy training for all women, men as well, obviously, but for women, because, and this is going off on a tangent, Joe, but it's my latest soapbox. <laughs> We're seeing a lot of homeless women age 55 and it's because they lost everything through marriage and at 55 you can't get a job no one no one will employ you so they're now homeless and this is ridiculous if we had all been given financial literacy training at a very early age you know budgeting from the age of five seven seventeen we'd actually have a better handle on ourselves and, mm -hmm. and our lives anyway as I said that's my soapbox I'll come back and talk to you again about that another day but in terms of of knowing what you do okay you selected your ball you've got a family so that's one of the balls you're juggling what I'd suggest to you is saying okay am I going to give myself over to this and you may like I was never a full-time mum for a very long time because I knew that wasn't my strength and my children were better off learning from other people than they were from me for lots of different reasons but when I was with them I used to say to myself okay what is it about this that I love and what is it doing for me and my character and really looking at how does raising a family and being a partner in a family situation how does that play out with your values and your strengths and if you can marry that you will actually see that you're actually holding the ball you want to hold I think a lot of people might get themselves into a position where you say I have a career and I have a family and I'm not sure which one I value the most. That's a dangerous equation. If you can see strengths lie in both of them, then that's how I would approach that situation. So with my children, I knew my time out from my career was going to be difficult because I came late to motherhood. So I didn't want to forsake my career. I wanted it to keep pottering along. So I was always keeping one eye on that. And of course, trying to give everything to my children. And that when I was trying to do that, when I was trying to be the domestic goddess, trying to be super mum, that didn't work. It was just ridiculous. And no one was happy. My kids weren't happy. I wasn't happy. My husband thought I was quite mad because you know I'd, I'd be up baking Halloween patty cakes at two in the morning so that my children would you know <laughs> present these at school ridiculous things so what I decided to do was okay how can I be the best mum how can I be the best parent as well as chasing a career and I looked at what my strengths are I looked at what my training provided and I said okay and interestingly not a lot of women will do this I put my name forward for boards, so the school board, the parish board, the daycare board. I ended up becoming chair of our daycare centre mm -hmm. because that was where my mind was. I still loved the children, really, really loved them, and I wanted to be connected with them and I wanted to be around them, but I needed to use my other skills to benefit all of us, them, my family, 
and the environment we were working in, the community we were working in. So I would put myself up for boards and I've been on a board for every daycare centre, school <laughs> and parish we've ever been a part of because that's how I connect. That's playing to my strengths, being a part of my community, giving them the best that I can give them, but also being very much a part of my family and my children being there with me, my partner being there with me along the way. Does that make sense? What I'm really hearing from all of that is that you have a really strong sense of your own values and who you are and what you want life to look like and you're shutting out other people's expectations. You're saying, this is me, this is who I am and this is how I'm going to make my life work for me. And it wasn't always the case, Lucy. Honestly, when I went out six months pregnant, bought the whole pram, all of that stuff, I was buying into it. We all do. Yeah, I was buying into what motherhood was. And then I sat on my couch for the first three months crying because I thought, I'm no good at this. I, you know, I had a baby I couldn't feed properly and I was sleep deprived. And I just thought, this is, no one told me this was going to be like. And, and I was totally isolated because I was so much older. I didn't have friends who were having babies. Can I ask, Anne-Marie, how old were you? I was 38 when I had my first and probably 41, 42 when I had my third. Which is becoming much more normal now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But back then, so 18 years ago, 19 yeah. years ago, I just didn't know anyone. So yeah. I felt very isolated. I'd go up to the local shopping centre at Westfield and all the women pushing their prams were much younger. And I didn't know anyone and I couldn't connect with them. And I just thought, oh, my Lord, what have I done? And then I realised that I wasn't really meant to be part of that scene. I was meant to be doing other things that my strengths would allow me to do. And, and again, because I was passionate about those things, they came easily. They were natural talents and I fared well. And my kids fared well. I've had a variety of daycare, nannies, all sorts of things, all sorts of care. There's no one right answer. And I can't say I was satisfied with any part of my life at that point <laughs> uh, in terms of caring for my children. But it worked and they're still living and breathing and growing like Topsy. <laughs> so, so I think we all come out of it in the end and we all learn a lot along the way. That is so lovely to hear. And I can see Joe looking at me because just before this interview, so I'm a few weeks away from having a baby and I'm very emotional and I was in tears, floods of tears. This baby will be born. Oh yeah, this baby will be born by the time yes. But I was in floods of tears saying to Joe, I don't have any friends. Oh. Not, not no friends as in no, no you know, but no mum friends who I can just go and hang out with, with my Lily and just be in their space and be like I was at my house, but at their house. And I was, it was a big deal for me, but maybe that's not what I need. I don't know. I don't know. You don't need to give me an answer, but it's just nice to hear you say it doesn't have to be what everybody else expects it should be. But it should be what you want. And your heart will tell you what you want and what you need. I'm with you entirely. (laughs) Or have I been there? (laughs) And it's just those damn emotions when you're so, so pregnant that make it in some ways more difficult to deal with. (laughs) Poor joke. You called me with good news and you got me in tears. (laughs) Oh, well. I was glad that I could give you good news. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't this an incredible podcast when we can be as raw as this, talking about these emotions? I've never been in an environment where we can do this. Congratulations, ladies. This is just brilliant. Thank you, Anne-Marie. And you've had such a fabulous story in terms of having your kids and growing your career. And, you know, there's no career ladder. I mean, we've, we've all kind of, I think, accepted that that doesn't really seem to exist anymore. And it's, I think you've used the expression jungle gym before. Mm. And it is, it's kind of, you know, taking it where you want to take it. The, the couple of things that I would love 
to ask you, uh, you've spoken to me before about the involvement of your partner in, in raising the kids. So I'd love mm-hmm. to know more about how you made that work because I know that there's a lot of women like I'm, I'm one of them, you know, my partner's, if we have to use those terms of primary carer, he's probably doing more of it than he's probably the primary carer at this stage of our lives. And there's also that issue that comes up around boundaries of work. So how have you kind of dealt with that? It was interesting. So I'll take you way back to the early days. So when my first child, my daughter, was probably only six to nine months old. My husband is also a lawyer here in Brisbane. So we were trying to attend the same Christmas functions for different reasons. So we would tag team and I would take our baby out of daycare and give her to a babysitter or a family member or a friend or a babysitter. And then I would go to the function for the first hour and then I would go home, pick up the baby while he would come in. It was ridiculous. So we tried sharing everything and that was just craziness. And we didn't see a lot of each other apart apart from handover. <laughs> so that was really weird. But in terms of having a very involved partner, he is incredible. He's gotten better over the years. I think we both came at this thinking, oh, this will be a very traditional arrangement. Anne-Marie <laughs> will do the washing and the ironing and the cooking. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Uh, no, no. That didn't last very long. <laughs> and again, I bought into the I'm at home, so I should be doing more. Can I just say, listeners, just take from me. You don't have to do that. (laughs) And we didn't want to outsource a lot of our housekeeping or anything like that. So we just generally started sharing things. My husband's a far better cook. As my children got older, and I'm talking the toddler years, I really lost the knack for cooking because I couldn't stand seeing food wasted or rubbed up against the walls. (laughs) I can't do this. Whereas he's more adventurous and he's been fabulous. So he does all the cooking. I cook for us, for our children have been fed, even now so that we can have some time alone and talk to one another. But that doesn't mean we're not sitting with the kids at the table, but um, that's another matter. So, yeah, so he, he's been incredible. And he is such a dedicated father. And this might play into why he is the way he is. He was his mother's carer. So he had a, a very aged mother. He was a late-life baby. And his mother was a great deal older. And he ended up being her carer for a long, long time. And so he was very familiar with caring for people. And I think that caring for a family was just natural for him to the point where at one point he took a redundancy from one of his physicians and said, I will start up my own gig. So I'll I'll start up a startup and I can be here for then our third child who did not want to be in daycare. Our third baby just was not and is not a social animal like that. And he was really suffering. So Michael, my husband said, let's take him out and I'll care for him. And he became the primary carer and very much has maintained that role. He now works four days a week in an office and part of a fifth day at home, but primarily to be there. And, and we juggle. We're very, very lucky in that we, we can work flexibly. I can work from home. I can work from anywhere, really, if I need to, as can he. And we can juggle. So if we have sick children, even teenagers, if they need us to be home, we can be home. And we very, very much try to share. Having said that, I know that my jobs and my life has been incredibly busy, particularly over the last, say, two or three years, lots of travel, lots of commitments, and he's taken on a great load. So I've got to take my hat off to him. He's really stepped up to the mark and, and um, does all that very willingly because, you know, that's who he is. That's you should meet him. You have to interview him. <laughs> oh, I think that might be yeah. on the cards. <laughs> I like it. Yes, please. <laughs> So I think I could keep talking to you for hours. Actually, I know that I can because I've done that on occasion. But for for the purposes of right now, I think we need to bring it to a close. So we've got a couple of questions that we like to ask our guests. Mm. 
And the first of those is, do you have a mantra? Are there words that you live by through life? Yes, I think I've spoken them already. But I think if you can, <laughs> if you can uncover your purpose mm-hmm. and take a long, long, long time to do that. But if you can uncover your purpose, you will discover your superpower and you will be unstoppable if you let yourself. Beautiful. And if we were going to have you give one piece of advice to women like us who are doing this crazy juggle, what would it be? You are the only person who can define success for you. So block out all the advertising, all the social media, all the other women in your life and men and influencers and say, what works for me? What do I want? And what does that mean in all the quadrants of my life? And that is what should be driving you. Nobody else, just you. If only we could just remember that. We need that on a wall somewhere, don't we? Ring me. (laughs) I'll tell you. Ring me. (laughs) Thank you so much for giving of your time and for being so open and sharing so much. We really appreciate it. I think that's part of your joint skill as interviewers. You actually get more out of us than we we think we're going to give. (laughs) Good. And we'll be seeing you again soon. Yes. Thank you both. What a fantastic interview. And I'm sure you'll all agree that once you've had Anne-Marie speaking, you just want to keep talking to her and ask her lots of questions. She's so wise and has such valuable information. And she's so generous, isn't she? She's so willing to share. She is. She absolutely is. So if you want to connect with Anne-Marie, the best place to find her is on LinkedIn. And we will include a link to her profile in the show notes so you can find her easily. Yeah, you might want to go and hit her up and have a bit of a discussion about your own superpower. And that's it from us today. So if you enjoyed the episode, then please subscribe and leave a rating and review for us to let us know what you think. Don't forget that Law CPD have their competition on at the moment. To enter that, you can go to lawcpd.com.au forward slash the juggle competition for a chance to win some great prizes at the very end of the CPD year. Very worthwhile. See you next week. Happy juggling. See you later.